Uh, Let's all turn in our Bibles this morning to the book of Romans. We're going to be in uh, chapter 12 uh, this morning. I titled this morning's message, Not Conformed, But Transformed. We went real deep into it last week. We covered one verse. And I told you I was planning on covering two. And we didn't get two last week, we only got one. And today we're going to really speed ahead and we're going to do just verse two today. So it will pick up. We won't go verse each week. It'll pick up. But let's uh, let's open in prayer. Father, we come before you this morning. Lord, we're here in anticipation of what you want to speak into our heart. That you would give us a new understanding Maybe reveal something to our hearts that we didn't know. A truth about you. A truth really about how we can live even more victoriously as Christians. Father, we know that it's only by your Spirit that we have understanding of this truth. And Lord, we ask that you would speak your truth into our hearts. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Let's start by first reading the the first verse also with it. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I shared that as we left the 11th chapter of Romans, which was Really, those 11 chapters were primarily doctrinal. There is application in all of God's Word, but it was primarily doctrinal. And now in this second half of the book of Romans, we're going to be looking at the practical aspects of Christian living. What we're to do with what we've just learned in the 11 chapters, now what do we do with that? That's always important. It's not just knowledge that we gain, but what do we do with the knowledge that we have. Now, by our very nature, and I think everyone's going to agree with me on this, by our very nature, it wasn't hard to get the world into you. As a little baby, we realized, and those parents, and when we have children, we didn't realize, we realized that those little infants have a nature that is sinful. It didn't take long as our children began to grow, as we began to grow up, that we realized how much of the world really is in this flesh. We get tainted by it all the time, don't we? Just being out around it. We can't escape it. We're in this world and it's all around us. And a lot of that before you knew Christ, you took on board. It was in your mind, it was in your heart, it was in your lifestyle. It's who you were. You were in the world. 
And it wasn't hard to get it in there. Because our very nature wants it. We want the things of this world quite often. There's pleasure in sin for a season. The Bible doesn't even say that it's not fun to sin. It's just for a season though. Here's the hard part. The hard part is getting the world out of us. Getting the world out of us is the difficult part. Amen? Anybody struggle with that? Getting the world out of you? Remember those days before Christ? When you couldn't even, you had no care in the world over what you did. You might have had a conscience. There might have been some things you wouldn't cross that line. But it, you, you just did what you did. And then you gave your life to Christ, and now all of a sudden you're accountable to the Word of God. You, you care what God thinks, or at least you should. Paul, in writing to the believers at Thessalonica in 1 Thessalonians 5.23, he says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. To sanctify something means to set it apart for God's use. May he sanctify you completely. He goes on to say, and may your whole spirit, your soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Body, soul, and spirit. The whole man, the whole woman, your complete makeup of how God made you. That's what God wants to perfect in us. He wants it all. He doesn't want just a portion of us. He wants it all. Body, soul, and spirit. Last week, the emphasis that was put upon verse 1 is that our bodies are to be given as living sacrifices unto God. Wow, that's a big statement. To give your life as a living sacrifice unto God. He says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. And and it's your reasonable worship. It's your reasonable service unto God. I shared that verse 1 and 2 are foundational to the rest of the book of Romans. It's foundational for us to get a grip, to get a handle on verse 1 and 2, so that when we get into the rest of the practical portions of Romans here, it's going to make sense to us why we need these verses. Why we need to grab hold of verse 1 and 2. You see, under the law, the only acceptable sacrifice was a dead sacrifice. And that slain animal, that priest taking and, and, and slaying that lamb or that, that, that animal that was being brought to the altar, he would have to take and, and, and slit its throat. And then he would have to take some of that blood and he'd have to go into the temple. He'd have to go behind the veil. And we read in the book of Hebrews that he couldn't go behind the veil without blood. He, it would have cost him his life if he would have entered in to the holiest place without blood. 
that sacrifice had to be killed. It was a dead sacrifice. It was a slain sacrifice for a temporary covering for man's sin. Blood had to be shed. But in the Bible, we find two examples of a living sacrifice. One of those examples we find is in Genesis chapter 22, when Abraham was called by God to go out and to offer up his son Isaac upon an altar. He was going to run him through. He was going to sacrifice his son because God had told him to do that. And he believed God. And in faith, he took his son and he went up to Mount Moriah there and he took his son to sacrifice him. But did you know that Isaac was also a willing participant? It wasn't Abraham dragging Isaac along, but he actually went up as a willing participant with his father to Mount Moriah to, to, to lay down. I don't think he had to strap him down to the altar. He laid down willingly on that altar. And we know from Genesis 22 that Abraham was prepared to run his son through with a knife to sacrifice him there. And God stayed his hand. God didn't allow him. As a matter of fact, he brought along a ram that was caught in the thickets. And he took that ram and God says, I will provide myself the sacrifice. What's interesting about this living sacrifice that we see in the person of Isaac is that for Isaac to come along as a willing participant of this sacrifice, he had to die to self. And not only did he have to die to self to do that, he had to yield up his will to God. He needed to yield his will to God. What a great picture, isn't it? Of what God really asks of us. That we would give our lives as living sacrifices unto God. Not like the dead sacrifice that was put on the altar and, and that the, the, the priest took up. But we would be these living sacrifices unto God. In the New Testament, we have Jesus Christ himself that died as a sacrifice. He did it in obedience to his father, just like Isaac to his father Abraham. But Jesus was crucified. He was killed upon that cross. But then he rose from the dead. Three days later, he came out of that tomb. And today he's alive. He's in heaven. He is a living sacrifice. And he bears those wounds upon that, that he had upon that cross. He's our high priest that's in heaven. He's our advocate, our lawyer in heaven. A living sacrifice. What an example for us to go to the cross on our behalf, willingly, dying to self, just submitting himself to his Father's will, and he went to the cross. So let me ask you, is there anything that you have, anything that you possess, 
in this life that you could give to God that would be greater than your body itself? Is there anything that God needs? There's nothing that He needs. For you to give your life as a living sacrifice unto God is the only thing that God doesn't have. It requires you willingly offering your will to God, to give up your life unto God, to give your all unto Him, to be a living sacrifice. Practically speaking, how do we do this? How do we do it in everyday life? We don't just come to church. That's number one. Don't ever buy into the lie that that's all God requires of us. If you're a good, good church attender, you make it there regular, God's satisfied. He's good with that. If you just make it to church, that's a lie. You see, God wants some, so much more than that. That's just something we do to learn about Him so we can go out and do the work of God. So it's not just coming to church every Sunday, but it's how we leave this church. It's what we're like when we get to work. It's what we're like when we're at home. It's what we're like in everyday life. That's a living sacrifice unto God. You see, everything about my life, the ordinary work of the day, everything and all that I am, I offer up to God. Everything that I do, my job as a parent, every, as a husband, as a wife, everything that I do is really my worship to God. It's my sacrifice. It's my life to God. It's so much more than just being a good church attender. And not all of us are even good church attenders. So then where does that put us? I mean, but I tell you, if, if we're not good at that, you're probably not going to be good at the rest. You see, true worship is the offering to God of our body. That's the outward part. That's the flesh and bones. That's what you see on the exterior. But it's also the inward. You see, that's what we're going to see in verse 2 this morning. That He's concerned with your mind, body, soul, and spirit. Everything that makes you up as a human being is what God wants from us. When you get to verse 2, you see the word and. It starts out with the word and because it's connecting verse 1 to verse 2. And so when we read, and do not be conformed to this world, he's really adding on to what he has just said in verse 1. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Have you ever noticed that it's this body that we live in and this mind that we have that gets us into the most trouble? Is that new to anybody? It's this flesh 
It's what goes on in, up here in your mind that gets us into the most trouble. And we contend with that every day, don't we? It's what your flesh wants to do, and it's what's going on in your head every single day. All good and bad. But it's a battle, isn't it? It's what gets us into trouble. We know that the Spirit is willing because the Spirit lives inside of us. He is both in you both to will and to do His good pleasure. But we don't always do it. The Spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. It's like those disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane. That's when Jesus said it to them. The Spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He knew that in them. It's the same in us. Paul talked about it in Romans chapter 7 when he talked about that Christian struggle, we could call it. That struggle in the flesh. You know, wanting to do what is right, but we don't always see ourselves doing what's right. We want to, but we don't. And it's that battle that we all entered into the day we gave our life to Christ. God compelling us to follow Him wholeheartedly. But we have this flesh that, that wants to, to draw back from that. To not want to give it all up. To not want to be completely yielded to the will of God in our life. Paul wrote about how we can guard our hearts and how we can guard our minds. He wrote about it in Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. He says, Rejoice in the Lord always, Christians. I added that. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, Christians. I added that. But in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And this is what it says after that. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, Whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, then meditate on these things. There's a lot that goes on in our heads day by day, good and bad. But there's a lot that goes on. And you know what? There's a lot of lies that come your way. But you know what we're supposed to do? Read redirect. We're to redirect towards truth. What does God say though? My head is telling me this, but what does God say? That's what we need to do to guard our hearts, guard our minds. What's truth? The things that are noble, the things that are just, the things that are pure and lovely, the things that are a good report. Fill your head with the good things from God, the things that you know of God, so that it begins to crowd out a lot of this other anxious thinking and all this other stuff that rattles around in our heads day by day. Verse 2 again says, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Do not be conformed 
to this world. To be conformed to this world means to be fashioned. It means to be conformed to a shape of something. You see, this world has a mold that it wants to put us into. You know those molds, Jolla mold. You know, you pour the liquid into it and it sets up and you have that mold. The world wants to pour us into its mold. And there's a lot of stuff that goes out in our world that's not of God. And, and, and God doesn't want us to fall trapped to falling into that pattern, that mold. To, he wants us to be transformed. He, he doesn't want us to conform to it. He wants us to be transformed from it. When you take a, a pattern that a, somebody making clothes would lay it out and they put that pattern, that's really what the word is talking about, to be conformed to a pattern, the way the world does things. And, and so often we find ourselves falling trapped to the same things that the world offers, that the world says is the way to do it, or what makes you happy, or, or what brings success. Or what does, you know, and we find ourselves doing things that are not God's way. Peter wrote in 1 Peter 1.13, he says, Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober or be alert, Christians. He says, and rest your hope fully on the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not, here it is, not conforming yourselves to the former lust as in your ignorance. You remember those days? In your ignorance? How you just did whatever you did. How about those days when you were a brand new Christian? You didn't know all the things of how to walk. And you even in that did in ignorance. Things that were ungodly. Things that were not of God. But you see... Your life, my life, it's a process. God is wanting to transform us. He's wanting to make us something different than what we were. And that's a work that takes a lot of work. It's a process. Paul says, do not be conformed to this world. Have you heard the lyrics of the song by Matt Redman? That song says... Take the world, but give me Jesus. That's part of the lyrics of the song. Take the world away from me. Give me Jesus. I want less of the world. I want more of Jesus. You're the treasure in this life. Take the world, but give me Jesus is my cry. Now I've seen you as the Savior. I will leave the rest behind. Take the world, but give me Jesus is my cry. Is that the desire of your heart? To have more of Him and less of this world. The things that seem to satisfy you, but it's only for a moment. It only lasts for a period of time. And we're always striving and racing after other things to fulfill our lives. It's all found in Jesus. It's not going to be found in this world. 
Paul also wrote in Philippians 3.10, he says, that I may know Him in the power of His resurrection, in the fellowship of His sufferings. And then he says this, being conformed to His death. That was Paul's desire. Not to be conformed to the world, but to be conformed to Jesus Christ's death. If there's anything that we desire to be conformed to, it should be to His death. That means dying to self. That means that we're going to become more like Christ as we die to self. And to die to self and to submit my will to Him, I might experience the power of God's resurrection in my life. Do you ever feel like you're lacking it? Do you feel like you come up short on really having that power to live victorious, to be a witness for Christ, to actually be doing something that is furthering the gospel in the kingdom of God? You feel like you're coming up short. And it's, it's because a lot of times we're conforming ourselves to things that don't matter, the things that won't be lasting. We're storing up treasure on earth instead of storing up our treasure in heaven. We need to be conformed to His death. We need to die to self. He also wrote in Philippians 3.21, who will transform, there's that word, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to His glorious body. And that speaks of His very nature that we would become more and more like Christ, the very nature of God, according to the working by which He is able to subdue all things to Himself, being conformed into His glorious body, being conformed unto His death. That should be our desire as Christians, not to be conformed to this world. There's a literal translation that reads this way. And you are to stop conforming yourself to this age. Sounds like a command, isn't it? (laughs) And you are to stop conforming yourselves to this age. But are to continue being transformed by the renewal of your mind in order for you to be proving what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Do not be conformed to this world or stop conforming to the pattern of this age. You just need to sit down and look at what we're wrapped around all day long. You know, look at your computers, look at your cell phones, look at all these different ways that people are trying to drive us into this pattern, drive us down this road to conform to, and I'm not saying that a cell phone's bad or the computer, I'm just simply saying that we are surrounded by things that are trying to push us into its mold. And when we get consumed with all of those things, there's not much left for Christ. We're just living for the things of this world. The question might be, how do we break free from this mold? 
How do we keep ourselves from being pressed into this mold as Christians? The New Living Translation reads this way. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will know what God wants you to do. And you will know how good and pleasing and perfect His will is. I like that. It's very simple. But it's not always easy to do, is it? Because you contend with flesh. You contend with the things that go on in your mind. And we have to yield those things to the will of God. That God would have His way in us. The Phillips translation reads this way, Stop being poured into the mold by the external and the fleeting fashions of this age, but undergo a deep interchange by the qualitative renewing of your mind. Paul, Jesus, James, Peter, John, they all warned us about this. You can look at, you can find it all the way through the New Testament. They warned us about the dangers that are out there for us as Christians. Paul wrote in Ephesians 2.2, he says, you once walked according to the course of this world. Do you all remember that? Day, unless you were, you know, saved at a really young age. Most of you that came along to Christ later on, you remember your days before Christ. You once walked according to the course of this world. According to the prince of the power of the air. That's a name for Satan. The spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. That was what we were before Christ. He also wrote in Galatians 1.4 that Jesus gave Himself for our sins that He might deliver us from this present evil age. Did you know that when you gave your life to Christ, He already gave you the victory? He already delivered you. By the sheer power of His shed blood and what He accomplished at the cross, you were delivered from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. It's what He wants to do is set people free. Jesus told His disciples in John 15, verse 19, If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. How do you like that? The world will hate you if you don't go its course if you don't step into its pattern and mold, the way they do things. Well, who are you? Why are you, you know, come across that you're so good? Well, you know, and, and that's what the world will do with those Christians that are unwilling to go, to be pressed into that mold of this world. James wrote in James 4.4, 4, he says, you adulterers and adulteresses, Do you not know that friendship with the world is at enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. He warned us, didn't he? 
Adulterers and adulteresses are those that put things in front of God. And we quite often find ourselves doing that in life. Putting things, putting our job, putting our family, putting other things in front of God. God is not my priority. It's evident by the way that I live, by the way I act, by the things that I do. You adulterers and adulteresses, don't put things in front of me. Don't have friendship with the world. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. Peter warned about it in 2 Peter 2.20. He says, For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, he says the latter end is worse for them than the beginning. It's like God set us free. Why would we want to go back to it? Why, when we have been set free from the pollution of the world, the course of this world, would we want to go back to it? Would we want to return? He says it's worse for you after you have been set free from it that when you go back to those things that you were delivered from, it's worse even going back. The Apostle John warned us about this world and the things in this world. In 1 John 2.15, he says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. He doesn't just say the world. We're not talking about the globe. We're talking about the systems. We're talking about the things that want to pour us into its mold. The things of this world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, and here it is, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, And the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. That's our big contenders, isn't it? It's what we come up against every single day, even as a Christian. That lust of the flesh. It wanting to do what it wants to do. The temptation of the eyes, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Those three things, they get in our way day in and day out. What's the remedy? I gotta die to self. I gotta put this thing down in the power of Christ, not in my own effort, but through Him. The world is passing away, John says, and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. That's the blessing. That's what we have ahead of us. It'll all be worth it to say no to this world, to say I'm not going to be conformed to it, it'll all be worth it in that day. Just know that. It's worth the effort to press hard, to not be conformed to the things of this world. God wants us to give Him our bodies. God wants us also to give us our minds. And He also wants us to give Him our will, our bodies, our minds, and our will. Sounds like God wants it all. Sounds like, you know, know, God, do you want everything from me? Yes, I want it all. I want body, soul, and spirit. I, I, I don't want just your body, but not your mind. 
You know, I, 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 you don't remove one from the other. You see, in body, we can come to church and it all looks good. But does he have my mind? Does he have my will? That's the important thing for us to answer in our own hearts. How much of God does he have of me? How much does he have? Being transformed is the Greek word for being changed. To be transformed is to be changed. It's actually the same Greek word that's used in Matthew 17 too, when Jesus was transfigured on that Mount of Transfiguration. And Jesus took on this form in front of his disciples, Peter, James, and John. And he was transfigured in front of them. And he took on this glory in front of them. He was metamorphosed. He was changed before their eyes. That's the transformation that God wants to do in our lives. He wants to transform you. He does that by His Holy Spirit. He does the, the, the working of His Holy Spirit in your life. We've all seen that butterfly, haven't we? And it's the greatest physical example, I think, of what we're talking about here. That larva producing a beautiful butterfly. How is that done? It's a miracle of God. It's a work of, aren't you a miracle? Look what you were and look what you are now. Look what God is transforming you into now. You're this new creation in Christ, or at least should be. Do you all have that scripture memorized? 2 Corinthians 5.17. I quite often say, do you have a scripture memorized? Do you know why I do that? I'm asking you to memorize them. 2 Corinthians 5.17, if you don't have it, to mind and heart, you don't know it, write it down and then memorize it. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The former things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. It's a great one to put in your arsenal. You're this new creation in Christ. The old things have passed away. And behold, all things become new. You have a whole different reason for living. A whole different reason why you get out of bed every day. A whole different thinking going on in your head than what you used to have before Christ. That's that new creation. How about Philippians 1.6? Do you have that one memorized? Being confident of this very thing, that he that began a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. What's the good work that he started in you? the day that you got saved. What is the day of Jesus Christ? The day that he's going to return. So the, from the day that you accept Christ to the day Christ returns, you're a work in progress. God starts the work and he says, I'm going to perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. The word perform there means to complete something, to undergo, to accomplish. And it actually ends with this part of the definition, make perfect. When you're in your glorified body someday in the presence of the Lord, you're going to see the perfection of God's work complete in your glorified body. That's going to be a glorious day. But until then, he's doing, he's performing this work in you. What's our part? We just need to yield. Yield our will to him. Yield our flesh to him. Yield our mind to him. Let God say, God, have your way in me. 
And you know what? If you pray that prayer and you ask God, do you think he'll do it? Guaranteed, your life will change. Most of us could admit that all of those years before Christ, that this world wreaked havoc on your mind. It wreaked havoc in your heads. I mean, some of you I know, and you were pretty messed up. You're messed up people in this world. And look what God has done. Look how He's rescued you. That's incredible. Let me give you 12 ways that we can be transformed by Christ. If you have something to write with, you'll need to write down the verse because I'm not going to read to you all the verses. I'll give it to you and you can write it down. Here are 12 ways, and I think you could find more than this. This is what I've wrote down. 12 ways that we can be transformed by Christ. Number one, trust and rely on His Holy Spirit that lives in you. Galatians 5.16. Number two, confess your sins daily to the Lord. 1 John 1.9. Guard your heart. Proverbs 23.7 and Galatians 6.7. Let the Spirit of truth guide you into all truth. John 16, 13. Walk in the light as he is in the light. 1 John chapter 1. Anyone know the verse? I didn't write it down. It's in chapter 1. Number 6. Ask God for wisdom from above. Do you know there's a wisdom of the world? And then there's wisdom from above? Which one do you want? This one or this one? We want wisdom from above. James 1.5 and 3.17. Number seven, spend time and more time in God's word, letting him renew and transform your mind. Number eight, think on the things that are true. Philippians 4.8, we read that. Number nine, we need to capture our thoughts. Have you ever had your thoughts running away? <laughs> you ever get, find yourself not being able to really keep your thoughts in place where they need to be focused? They're off on this and you're freaking out about this and you're going off in this direction. We need to capture our thoughts. 2 Corinthians 10.5 we need to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, don't we? Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. We need to memorize Scripture. Psalm 119.9, Ephesians 6.17. And then the last one that I listed, acknowledge Jesus as Lord in your life. Romans 10.9. That's 12 of them. I think there's more. But I want to know practically how it is that I'm being transformed and can be transformed 
in Christ. That What I just read to you, that would entail you looking and analyzing, comparing your own self and your daily walk with these things and say, do I do that? Is that me? And if it's not, I can tell you that you're probably hindering what God really wants to do in you. You see, you have a will, don't you? And God doesn't force himself upon your will. We choose to do these things. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then he says this, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That's one of those statements that every single one of us here this morning would go, I want to know God's will. How many times have you prayed a prayer wanting to know what God's will for a decision that you had in life? How many times have you thought, God, what is your will? And you didn't know. How many times have you struggled trying to figure out what is the will of God for me? And, and you've wrestled with it. And you haven't known. And you've ran to you know, 50 different people trying to ask them the question that they might give you some kind of insight on what you should do because you don't know what the will of God is. I don't think that God wants to hide His will from us. He's not trying to make it difficult for us to figure that out. I can remember as a young man in the Lord hearing people say, yeah, God was speaking to me. God was dragging. I'm thinking, man, what are you saying? I've never heard God speak audibly to me. I don't, I'm not like just hearing him say, go do that. But you know what? What I realized, the reason why I wasn't hearing him clearly and knowing his will, the reason why is because I wasn't drawing near to God. I wasn't knowing and able to really hear his voice. I was off in the world and doing what I wanted to do, but it wasn't my focus. The closer you get to the Lord in prayer, the closer you get to him in your relationship with him, the clearer that voice will become. It'll be one of those things you'll go just, well, no, the Lord's not directing me to do this. No, that's not the way he wants me to go. How do you know that? I just know because your will is lining up with his will. And see, that's the key. Some people have thought that in this last part of verse 2, that Paul is saying that the purpose, uh, that everything that he said prior to this last statement is Paul's purpose. Other people say that Paul is describing the results of what he just said in the first part. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Is that the purpose or is the result that I would know the will of God? What is God wanting me to know? It seems to me that he's speaking here of the results. And the reason why I think it's the result of our not being conformed to this world and a result of our minds being transformed by God is that it results in me knowing more clearly God's will. What would be the opposite of that? Well, I'm kind of really tied up into the world in a lot of ways. 
I'm not really spending and doing my due diligence to see that my mind is being renewed. And so it's very difficult for me to always discern really what God wants for me, what he, what, what he wants me to do. You see, there's the general will of God that applies to every single one of us. We never have to go, you know, God, uh, what's the will for you? The will for you is different from me under the general category. We're all called to go out into the world and preach the gospel. That's for every Christian. Not, well, that's for you, not for me. Uh, there's lots of general revelations and will of God that apply to all of us. What about the specifics? That's where it gets tough. You're talking about something specific for me that may not apply to you. Like going to the mission field. Like doing this or doing that. What does God want from me? And I believe that even under this, being able to discern that good and acceptable and perfect will of God, when you yourself are being transformed, renewed in your mind, and, that, and allowing God to have His way, it'll become clearer to you, even the specifics in your life. Jesus in Matthew 6.10, He says, Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. That was Jesus teaching His disciples, telling His disciples in how to pray. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What's God's will for me? What's God's will for you specifically? God wants to reveal that to you. He wants you to know it. He doesn't want you to be scratching your head all the time, wondering, trying to figure it out. The perfect will of God. That word perfect could also be translated mature, complete. The mature and the complete and the perfect will of God. That's what we want to know. Have you ever gotten out of step with that? Meaning you've done something where you came to realize, mm, that wasn't the will of God, obviously. I made that decision and <laughs> I think I did it in my flesh. I think I did it in my own. You know, that's not really what God wanted from me, but I did it anyway because I wanted it. And, it, and I'm paying the ramifications for it. Now I got all this debt. Now I've done this. Now I've done that. Now it costs me this. It happens day in and day out with Christians because we're not always discerning the perfect will of God, the mature will of God, the complete will of God. Philip's translation paraphrases it this way. Proving God's will in practice moves you toward the goal of true maturity. I want to close with giving you something that I think is practical. Over 20 some years ago, my grandfather, who is now with the Lord, he was a, a pastor. He was uh, a mentor to me. He gave me this card typed out on one of those old Underwood little typewriters. He gave me this little card, and I've, really I carry it in my Bible. I've had it with me for over 20-some years. It was written by, not him, but by a man by the name of E.B. Meyer. It's titled, How to Know God's Will. And there's three parts to it. 
If you want to write this down, it might be very useful for you as you're making decisions and wanting to know God's will. I've shared this with our church before, but it's been a while. It starts out by saying there are three things which will always concur, or that word means agree. The first one is the inward impulse. And what that means is it's God in the heart impelling you forward. In other words, He is both in you both to will and to do His good pleasure, isn't He? The inward impulse. In other words, some of you have been called to go to the mission field, and that was the will of God for you. Others have not. Some of you would say, I knew that God was calling me to this place. Other, others of you would say, that hasn't even entered my mind. The inward impulse is God in you both to give you that desire, give you that willingness to go. God works that in our heart. That is the inward impulse. Number two, the inward impulse needs to be, it needs to be cooperated with the word of God. And so it's God in his book cooperating whatever he says in your heart. Does that make sense to you? That what you are hearing in your heart needs to be understood from God's word. It needs to be revealed to you from God's word. It needs, have you ever had a confirmation from God's word? Raise your hand. A confirmation from God's word. Does God speak to us through his word? Or is it just, you know, when he speaks to us from his word, that's God bringing out and letting a verse jump off the page at you specifically because he's wanting to speak something into your heart. So when we're making decisions, wanting to know the will of God, God, would you show me something in your word? Would you confirm it to me? Would you speak to me through your word? As my daily reading, as you're reading through the word, I could show you scriptures where God has confirmed to me his will from his word. And I write it and I put a date right there. You'll see it all the way through my Bible. I'll write a date, what he said to me, and I'll write it down. Number three, the trend or the flow of circumstances. This is a big one because sometimes we don't know whether or not it's my will trying to work it all out, make it happen. We say, well, here's the scripture that I back that up with. This is what I believe God's calling me to do. I got two of them. But what about the flow of circumstances? Well, the flow of circumstances is God in circumstances which are always indicative of his will. So in other words, if I'm going to go to the mission field, but there's no provision there for me to go, if I'm going to cross over the Atlantic and there's no boat or plane for me to get on to go there, and God hasn't provided that boat or that plane, I'm probably not going. I'm not going to swim over the Atlantic. If I have to have provisions to do something, if God's going to call me to do something, then he's going to provide for me to do that. He is both in you, both to will and to do his good pleasure. It finishes with this. Never act until these three things agree. Never act until these three things agree. I think that that's good advice. I think it's knowing God's will, 
if you want to really get into the technical aspects of it, then go on Amazon and find how many books are written on how to discern the will of God. You know what you'll find? Hundreds, thousands of different authors that have written volumes of books on how we as Christians can know the will of God. Just save your money. Just do these things. Look in your Bibles. Trust that the Holy Spirit will do that and show you and that he'll provide the way and the means to do it. As you draw closer to God in your relationship with him, I will guarantee you, I've seen it and I'm seeing it in my own life, and I, wanted it, I want it to even get better, that you will more and more be able to discern the voice of God. It'll become very clear and you won't be scratching your head all the time wondering what's the will of God. The real problem with not knowing it is there's probably other things that are out of balance and not in line, and that's why you're not hearing. Get that in line, and God is very clearly and capable of showing you what His will is for you, His perfect will. We hope you have enjoyed today's study. For more information on teachings, events, worship times, and location, please visit our website, ccfwinstonsalem.com. From Pastor Greg and all of us at Calvary Chapel Fellowship, thank you for listening and being part of our study through God's Word.